the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Sunday, February 6th. We have a special edition of the podcast for all of you listeners. Now, many of you well aware of the fact that this past week I've been live on the grounds of the 2022 Cleveland Challenger. It's been such a pleasure to get to watch all of the action unfold. Hopefully, you've heard all of our recap podcasts of the previous three days' events. Hopefully, by now, you've heard our conversation with the eventual Cleveland Open champion, Dom Stricker, over on the Cracked Interviews podcast. But you have not yet heard my breakdown of the final and joining me on today's show to help break down this Cleveland Open final, as well as explore some of the other hot topics right now across the tennis world, is a man who, I'm just going to be honest, I should have had on this podcast sooner. You listeners by now probably well aware I'm not the best at planning and budgeting my time appropriately. I am so, so excited, therefore, to finally have the chance to sit down, not only with him on the show, but in person as well at the lovely Banchilla household, my friend. It is Mr. Alex Banchilla. Just had to clarify. Easy with the mystery. (laughs) Well, I have to clarify because we have had younger Alex Banchilla on our show as well. We are now joined by, should I call you Coach B? Should I call you Alex? It's always weird to call fellow Alex Alex. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, right? Yeah. And so, we are, but please, please, please call me Alex. Okay, then I will happily do so. Alex, thank you for taking the time to join me on the show today. I think we can get right into it, right? And I, I no introduction needed, by the way, for those that don't know, at the Alex Manchilla on Twitter, right? And to be honest, all I ask for on tennis Twitter is for someone to have the confidence in their convictions, in their opinions, and for someone to bring some sort of information, fact, logic to what they're saying. I don't think that's asking for too much, but far too many people don't do it. If you're not following, Following the Alex Banchilla, you really should be because, again, the thing I think I appreciate most about you is just the fact that you will say what you see and the fact that you – again, I, even if we disagree, the confidence of the convictions, that's the thing I respect most in an individual. And I just – again, the, your passion for the game, I just appreciate it. Well, well, thanks, but, but when it comes to passion for the game, uh, listen, dude, I, I mean <laughs> – I am here, you know, sitting with you in my daughter's adjacent room, to her room or whatever in our house, yeah. and makeshift I'm, podcast right, studio, exactly. And and I'm I'm so excited to 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 be here with you. But I want to start right off the bat because otherwise I'll forget and it will <laughs> kind of suck to tell you how much I appreciate. Um, you and your brethren, if you will. Thank you. Um, and I, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily want to mention any, uh, you know, everybody because I'll forget someone. But it's you. It's our boy Mycation. Yeah, it's you. you know Damien Kust, of course. Um, all tennis blog, college tennis ranks, right? Colette yeah. Lewis. Uh, what do you do, all of you? You're the anti-John McEnroe. Oh, thank you. Right? <laughs> I mean, that's what you guys are. I like to say we're the nuance. Right, but but yeah. it's 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 the, the 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 passion is what drives you. I I think there's some economics behind podcasts. I I don't think I know enough about it that I don't think you're breaking bank right now. True, but I think you're playing the long game, and I think the end game if you will it's a bigger plot platform is you're 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 building your brand mm-hmm. um but i do think that it takes tremendous passion to pretty much do cover not exclusively but almost exclu- exclusively 
college tennis and the challenger tour, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's almost I don't think easy is the right word, but convenient sure. to cover the pros. It's glamorous. Mm-hmm. It's it's flashy, it's sexy. Clickbaity. Yes. You guys kind of go under the hood mm-hmm. of tennis. Thank you. And I got to be honest with you, I it's it's because of 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 people like you and those whom I mentioned uh, that I started following the Challenger Tour a lot closely. Okay. Uh, college, obviously, because of my son. He's in college right now playing college tennis at Tulane. Uh, but uh, it's because you guys that I started really, really in the last few years uh, really being interested in, 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 you know, the Challenger Tour. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I probably spent a little bit too much time on Twitter, but then again, not enough sure. at the same time. <laughs> sure. And to go there on a daily basis and see your opinions, and because that's what we are, we all are at the end of the day. It's it's an editorial, if you will, absolutely. Right? Maybe other than maybe other than Damien, we all edit, you know yeah. put our editorial kind of like spin on it, spin on it, of course. Uh, but it's just. Great, and I, I really appreciate what you guys do. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. You listeners won't be able to see it. I am blushing right now, and it's not just because you made us delicious margaritas here <laughs> before we start today's show, although that flush is certainly to come later on in this podcast. <laughs> but it's so interesting to hear you say that, and just listeners, we're going to jump a bunch of different places here on today's show. But I do want to talk with you because I know you have a passion for tennis that has lasted not just the past decade, but you've been following the sport your entire life. You coach the sport, obviously, as well. I do want to ask because I am a child of the Colette Lewis era. I, the moment I learned about TennisRecruiting.net, I was 11, 12 years old playing tournaments. Of course, you pop there on the center screen. You see the Zoo Tennis blog, and I was like, well, what is this? And I clicked on it, and I started reading it, and I tell her this. That's why I refer to her as the greatest of all time. She was the blueprint. And then there were people like Jonathan Kelly as well early on who were writing about what was happening at the challenger level, writing about the young Americans, which at that time there were people my age. And so I gravitated towards that work, you go back a decade, two decades, three decades. And I've, you know, during the pandemic, we all watched replays of matches. I actually think 1999 commentator John McEnroe threw fastballs. Like he knew everyone who was playing. I thought he was exceptional at his job early on. But you talk about the perception of players outside the top 50, outside the top 100. And obviously, little self aggrandizing here. That's something we focus on at Cracked Rackets. But is that something there was exposure to prior to the internet era? Were we talking about, you know, I know it was called the satellite tour then, right? Was there much acclaim for the satellite tour? Was it all just local? Was it all word of mouth? What 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 did the scene look like? Well, first of all, that was the, the satellite tour was way before the internet. <laughs> sure. Right. So uh, there was nothing. It was like I said before, there was it was not glamorous. It was it was actually pretty brutal, mm-hmm. right? Both as a player and a spectator and as a parent of a player or coach or whatever. Um, And it's just like I think the internet has been extremely helpful in exposing, um, you know, the the entire spectrum, if you will, of tennis. Because I think that the the fans and the casual players are only exposed to the super glamorous part of it, Mm -hmm. right? They see the big names that everybody – know knows on on tv and they they see how they're they're being catered to and they mm-hmm. think that that's what tennis is i mean i was talking to uh, a lady today uh who is a casual player sure 
Uh, I don't think. And when you say casual, three zero, three five, league yes, here, there, yes, whatever. Yes, club player. Sure. I don't think she can name a total of ten players, sure. even though she's a super, super bright woman. Yeah. But she's, you know, she comes in, she plays, she gets her workout, and that's mm-hmm. it. She's got other interests. And uh, we were watching together um, the uh, trophy ceremony, the Cleveland Challenger, right? And I told her that the winner won. I think it's seventy two hundred. Yeah. Her jaw dropped to the ground. <laughs> I mean, that's it. You, you, it's it's a week's work. Yeah. You are a world class player. Uh, we both know you and me how how great a player and an athlete you have to be to be ranked top three, four hundred in the world mm-hmm. in tennis. John McEnroe would disagree. <laughs> uh, so, and then you you do all that work for seventy two hundred. Mm-hmm. That's taxable. Yeah. That's pre, yeah, pre-tax, right. 200 So Pre-expenses. You go, take a quick shower, yeah. you know, uh, get a quick ride to the airport, and then you're on to the next one. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. Nishioka is hitting a flight either tonight or very early tomorrow morning. He plays right. – we're recording this Sunday, 5, 10 p.m. He's probably still in Cleveland. He plays Tuesday in Dallas. Right. It's uh, horrifying. And l- listen, I'm going to make – I'm going to go back to a point that you made and a couple of points that I've already made and I don't want to dwell on it. But when John McEnroe came as an announcer in the mid – you're too mm-hmm. you're too young uh, – in the mid-90s, mm-hmm. he was so refreshing. He is so smart. Mm-hmm. To this day, he's a smart and witty guy. Mm-hmm. But somewhere along the way, he got lazy and complacent, mm-hmm. a little bit too elitist and – Everyone who's ranked outside of the top 20 for him is a journeyman. Sure. And I, I, I know that there's a lot of players on whose matches he's – or whose matches he's announcing that he has never seen play before. Mm-hmm. And that's – I think it's unforgivable for someone who announces tennis. So my biggest beef with him, how can you deny his greatness? The guy's a tennis genius. Yeah. Right? I, I watched him play the first match that I've ever watched – Live was the 1984 French Open final, mm-hmm. which to this day you're not allowed to bring it in person when you're around him. Yeah, exactly. Um, and and he was a genius. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, you know, not to again dwell on this, but I, I I I know or used to know two different people who were his classmates, both um, at his um, middle school. Sure. Uh, and, and Douglaston, New York, and in uh, Stanford, those two people do not know each other. They both said he was the smartest guy in the class, right? And I think my biggest beef is how far he has fallen sure. from where he was. You use the word complacent. I think that's the right word because in the YouTube era especially, there are times when you can tell, and not just McEnroe. I think this is not to paint broad strokes, but it's inexcusable to have not watched at least 30 minutes of a player, and that's not a lot, right. but 30 minutes of a player before they come on at court and you're calling their match. Because A, 30 minutes of watching tennis, that's the beauty of our sport. You can learn a lot about someone in those 30-minute times. But B, you can find 30 minutes of highlights of anyone on YouTube nowadays. And I agree with you. That complacency is what's so frustrating and obviously is a big spurring on of what we're trying to do here at Crack Records is to shine a light because you look at the Challenger Tour right now. There are so many rising stars and, you know, Nishioka spent all of the past three seasons and he's been top 50 in the world. You know, that's a guy I think many casual tennis fans as well as those hardcore 
fans who obviously are listening to this show will be aware of. And, you know, one of the reasons I have always loved the Challenger Tour, and this is not new information to our listeners, the first guy for me was Stefan Kozlov. I remember seeing him as a 12-year-old playing Bjorn Fertangel at the International Spring Championships, or maybe it was Kwiatkowski, whoever it was, and just being like, hold on, what can this kid do? And then all of a sudden, you know, Sacramento challenger for him. And then you see the Fritzes and the Pauls and the Tiafos and the Opelkas of the world all take off. That was my first generation of players to follow. And you could see them all break through at the challenger level. I know this is a strong pivot here, but to get to today's Cleveland Challenger Open, I have never on an in-person experience, and I've watched a lot of in-person tennis nowadays, and okay, that's not true. I went to the City Open last year. I'm doubling down on everything I've ever said about Yannick Sinner. Like, he will be legitimate. Him, in person, the sound coming off of a Felix Ogier-Aliassime forehand, until you hear it for yourself in person, I think you can't appreciate just how special a talent he is. And the same way I feel about those two, I feel about our 2022 Cleveland Open champion, Dom Stricker, who you know comes back against Michael Moe, drops a first set there. I don't want to say out-physicals him, but outplays him. Like, just straight up was better at the tennis than Michael Moe to get to the final. And then today for Stricker, who lost a 4-2 and two match to Yoshihide Nishioka last week in Columbus. Today, 7-5-6-1. He beats Nishioka. There's a definitiveness. There's just a decisiveness. There's a power with which he plays. I, I'm all in. I'm just – I'm all in on him. I, I can agree more. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, after Kova lost to Mo, mm-hmm. I lost interest in the tournament. Sure, I, I was bitter. <laughs> yeah, um, and uh, I, I took a break for a couple of days, and then I I went back on Friday. I, I did it on the protest, but I did go back. Yeah, and uh, I uh, you know I watch Mo and Lexi Galerno. Great match. Really great match. The first set of that match I thought was top 100 tennis. 100%. Mm-hmm. At least. Yeah. Right? Uh, I didn't see sets two and three because we had to go to dinner. Sure. Um, because I didn't I, <laughs> I didn't count on, on, on the first set taking us. Yeah. Did, right? <laughs> and at one point I contemplated, because uh, I was there with my wife, we contemplated going back for the third set. But the third set kind of went uh, you know, yeah. a little bit too quickly. Um, and, you know, Mo buys, I, I think – you said it on on Twitter mm-hmm. that he admitted that he's kind of playing as well as he can play right now, right? In the post match interview, right, so just right. to, to for our listeners, I have had the opportunity as the MC on the grounds, and shout out to our friends at Top Notch Management. The fact that I get to sit there and do my version of tennis stand up for like two hours, I'm a kid in a candy store. Like I'm thoroughly enjoying myself. If you listeners can't hear the smile in my face here now, yeah, you can attest to it. But uh, to your point there, I just think, yeah, it was just, uh, you're right. Like in in the post-match press conference, I, I ask him, the, you know, I have the opportunity to ask these players a couple of questions and I say, Michael, what was, you know, what do you credit your performance here in today's match to? And he said, well, to be honest, Alex, you know, I'm healthy, I'm fit, and I think this is about as well as I could have hoped to play today. And to hear him say that for Michael Moe, who has been top 100, who has – and I know I'm cutting you off midpoint, but I'm going to set you up on the layup here. I promise. That will Chris happen Pauly. a lot between the two of us. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm about to alley-oop you up here. I promise. Um, you know, to hear Michael Moe say that, 
I thought he played just as well against Dom Stricker in the semifinal as he did in the quarterfinals. And now we're full circle here because Stricker was not intimidated. And Michael Moe doesn't bring a top 100 physicality. He brings a top 50 physicality, in my opinion. I would do a lot to have his legs. But Stricker just was better at the tennis. The, the thing that, that impressed me the most is because, you know, we, we tend to look for, for certain markers, if you will, right? Yes. Uh, especially, you know, in, in young players or, you know, high performance juniors is how well he handled losing the first set against a, an older, more experienced opponent like Mo, um, who was very much in form. Mm-hmm. And for a 19 year old who lost in the finals in Columbus last week, made it to the semis here, loses the first set. It's easy to just like kind of rationalize it with, hey, you know, I had a pretty good couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. You know, this guy's playing pretty well. Time to go home. Yeah. All right. Miss my parents, miss my girlfriend, whatever. <laughs> yeah. He didn't. Mm-hmm. Right. So to me, yesterday's win, even though I do think that he played, the Stricker played better today against Nishioka <laughs> than yesterday against Mo, yesterday's win was more impressive because he lost the first set. Mm-hmm. And I do think that in a lot of people's minds, Maybe in the minds of the two players themselves, um, I think Stricker was the slight underdog. And the underdog rarely wins after they lose the first set. Yeah. So for him, and especially when you're 19, not even 20, mm-hmm. he'll be 20 in August. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way he handled it, and then the second part of that is he serves for the match. He breaks Mo in the semis at 5 all. Mm-hmm. Serves for the match, gets broken at 30. Short-term memory. Mm-hmm. Rebounds right away, goes up 3-love in the breaker, which was huge. It helped that Mo started the breaker with the double fault. But it's just, you know, it's easy to fold in those moments. Yes. And, and the tennis aside and the explosiveness and the easy power – and, and you know, how the ball explodes off his racket is how you handle those big moments. Mm-hmm. And that's very telling for how things will go down the road mm-hmm. for him. And you tweeted this out, the backhand return winner he hits on match point, right? Just like that shot right there epitomizes the mindset you're talking about in that semifinal. And to see him in today's final against 7561 over Yoshihito Nishioka. Against whom he lost a week ago. In straights. And that tends to linger in players' minds, mm-hmm. especially in the losing players' mind. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you know this as well as anybody. Tennis is about matchups. Yes. Doesn't matter how well I look. Mm-hmm. You know, if I don't match up well against you, guess what? You know it. I know it. Yeah. Right? So he came in and he just like, you know, confident, you know, the the, the, the poise, the – I cannot remember the last time I've been this impressed by, yep. by, by a 19-year-old. Mm-hmm. I think he's got I, – I, I kind of DM'd him. Not kind of. I did yeah. uh, today because we have a, a, a mutual friend. Uh, I said you don't lack anything to become great. Just – uh, and I'm kind of almost quoting verbatim. I said, just stay hungry, stay healthy, surround yourself with the right people, which I know he will because I'm sure. Uh, oh, we saw Tony Godzik yeah, was Godzik. ready. To, yeah, it's, we could just say all, it. It's all over him and yeah. not, not in a bad way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you can do a lot better than that. Yeah. Uh, and I, I also gave him the advice, listen, for the next 15 years, be very, very selfish. Mm-hmm. Make the best decision for you in capital letters, you mm-hmm. and your tennis. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think when you look 
for Stricker today and you talk about that mentality because I want to talk about the tennis component in a second, but let's talk about the mind we see out there first. Two all service game, 15-30, hits an ace out wide. You know, Yoshi didn't love the call there, but next point, ace out wide again. Deuce side, 40-30, and just gets himself out of that jam and face, I believe, if not break points, another early game deficit in his three-all service game as well. And yet, you could tell, 6-5 in that first set, taking the ball early, taking everything on the rise today. He wasn't playing games with Yoshi. He was, you know, because Nishioka's trying to bring a physicality, trying to get Stricker stretched to the outer thirds of the court. And we'll talk about, you know, how he continues to get better. I think his work in the outer thirds of the court is an interesting point for us to discuss. But you talk about that mentality again. He just kept swinging. And it just like, okay, I need to land a big first serve here. I need to stick to my plays. And I know what my plays are. And it just felt like point after point, match after match, he was able to execute those plays. And even down the home stretch of the match where 4-1, you know, Nishioka takes a uh, medical timeout on that changeover. And you could just tell Nishioka was cooked. And yet, you know, there were some plus one balls and some slapping from Nishioka. He keeps that four, one four service game close. And then Strick was like, okay, enough is enough. It's time for me to finish this match. And he's able to do it. The word I just keep coming, or the thought is just there was no hesitation in anything for him this week. He felt like a man on a mission who wasn't overwhelmed. Anytime you threw pace at him, he was like, eh, well, you hit the ball cute, but watch what I can do. To your point, it felt like nothing forced him to blink, not once, except for 6-5, First set, uh, set point for him in that Nishioka service game. I thought that was the one passive point he played all match. Now, he ends up winning it in a display of physicality, but you're right. Like, I just, there was, he didn't blink ever. You know what? And we, we talked a little bit earlier about that mm-hmm. point, and, and, you know, my my thought as I was watching the point is in in match you get a pretty good feel of how you feel and mm-hmm. how your opponent feels. And I, I felt the same way that he didn't quite go after it, but I'm pretty sure because he felt that he wanted Nishioka to uh defend and and, and erase the set point against him yeah. as opposed to Stricker taking it from him. Okay. Because he thought and there is that feeling. There is that that it's difficult to explain it um if you if you haven't had it yourself. Sure. Right? But but you are aware of the balance of power and confidence mm-hmm. throughout the match because not it's not an even uh an, an, an even flow, right? And to me, it felt like he wanted to keep the ball in neutral and make Nishioka go, hey, go ahead, hit a winner off my neutral shot while you're set point down. Mm-hmm. And Nishioka wasn't able to do it. Yeah. And eventually, he break the forehand a third up the net, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, and and I, I have a, a slightly different interpretation of the plus one because you just said it. I know you're big on it. Yeah. A lot of people say it. I, my interpretation, yes, there's the classic serve and it's a weak return and you hit a winner. But there's also the plus one where you take a control of the point for the rest of the point with the next shot after your serve. The point can continue for another three, four, five, six, seven shots, but your opponent is continuously on his heels. He is not dead yet. 
but he's on the respirator. So I couldn't agree more. And when I tweet out plus one, that's what I mean. It's not about hitting a winner on that ball. It's about having a game plan for the rest of the point with that ball. And now we can get into the tennis. And I want to start with the plus one game of Dom Stricker because you have pointed this out. And I want to reiterate this point. And I think it's something I touched on on earlier mini breaks this week. It reminds me a lot of Jack Sock. Like just how easy. Some Some people are just blessed with shoulders where it's just like, Sorry, mine's better than yours. And my college doubles partner in club tennis, Max Rothman, was one of those people blessed with the shoulder. And I convinced people he's a redhead to call, that we called him the Red Rocket. <laughs> and like they all started calling him the Red Rocket and just mwah, delightful. Um, but Stricker is one of those people. And what makes him elite is not just the service motion, which if I can have you talk about, but also the choices he makes with the first shot in every rally. You know what? I'll start by saying this. Um so, so Stricker and I have a mutual friend, Luke Hoymans from sure. from Tulane, who's from Switzerland, um, who grew up with Stricker. Okay, right? he just told me this last night. Okay, <laughs> um, and uh, Luke told me I don't I don't think I'm speaking out of school here, yeah. but Luke told me that that Stricker, as I'm sure we all imagined it, right, and expected it, he practiced with Federer. Of course. So the one thing that Federer told him is like, you need to beef up your serve. It's just not good enough. And guess what? <laughs> right? I mean... That's what he did. He has the simplest, most efficient service motion probably I've ever seen. I don't want to go into hyperbole here, sure. but uh, I always thought that the simplest motion that gets the most efficiency uh, service motion is Serena Williams's. Yeah. I think this one is simpler. Um, so I'm trying to th- – it's just – it's ball toss. So it's just it's, – it's, it's not even the simplicity because I think Fritz is in that conversation true, as well. True, Where it's just like – It's so smooth it, and yes, simple yes, and yes. it's just like there's there's no moving parts. There's no extra parts, which, which means that nothing can go wrong, mm-hmm. right? And it, it, if I would be, you know, which I am, <laughs> yeah. a coach, I would I would kind of look to 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 – push as many people as possible into that towards that service motion it's not possible because we know that different people have different things they navigate to sure. and it's a big mistake to try to force everybody to play the same way or have to have the same strokes but to me that service motion is so efficient so simple so smooth so uh, fluid and it's the same toss he hits Every spot he wants with the same toss. I mean, Mo couldn't read it. Nishioka couldn't read it. Um, and and he has a – you, you're talking about the plus one, but here's the thing, dude. He has a get-out-of-jail card every single time. There were several instances yesterday, I think a little bit more so yesterday than today, but, but a few today as well when he's down love 30 or 15-40. Yes. And he holds on four consecutive points, and on three out of those four, the guy, Nishioka, or his opponent, doesn't put the ball in play. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily an ace, yeah. but it's a service winner. Yeah. So think about it. You need to win when you're down by two in the count, particularly when you're down break point, right, 15-40 or love 40. You do not want to start the point and play two or three points from the ground Mm -hmm. because law of averages dictates that you're probably going to lose one or two out of the three Mm -hmm. or one out of the two. Guess what? Winner, ace, 
winner plus one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then how do you think the other guy feels? Yeah. No, it's you. He just, worked his butt off 100%. to get to, 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 to break point, and you don't put the ball in play again. And that's why you, with Nishioka, the 15-30 point, I referred to that, that ace out wide in the two-all service game or the three-all, whatever it was. Nishioka drops his racket and falls yeah. over. It's like, yeah. I can't right. afford – you can't give him chair umpires. You can't give him free. I, like, if you yeah. give this kid free points, I'm going to lose. I was next to Stricker, so he yeah. was looking to us, my wife and me, because yeah. uh, uh, you know he knew that he had support there. Sure. but uh, And he said – you know, he talked to us. He yeah. Play. yeah. <laughs> Pulls out. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, right? So, yeah. it's, it's, you know, listen, challenger level, not enough people. Yeah. People do the best they can. You know, you, they, they're forcing the line umpires because they're just on one side of the court it's... to look through the net. Do you think you – No, you're one never – do a better so job. So, Michael Moe actually said right. this so well in the semifinal, and he was being really kind with the challenger. He's like, look – they're making a far sideline call on the other side of the net. That person is never going to get the call right. Like, you're setting us up for failure, right. chair umpire. You True. have to make that call. Yeah. And he's right. Yeah. Yeah. And 100%. And it's just like, you know what? It's too bad, but it kind of things tend to even out. It goes both 100%. Not necessarily for the same player in yeah. the same match, but it kind of did for Nishioka. Yes. Brutal call that went his way against Fabiano mm-hmm. yesterday. Brutal call that went against him Today against uh, against Stricker, right? 100%. So again, that evened out. But uh, yeah, I mean, you mentioned you know the power, the shoulder. It's just like easy power. I th- I like the net game. Yeah, I, but I also like the the, the Jack Sock analogy. Okay. I do think he is a significantly more complete player than Jack Sock. Sure. Uh, time will tell if he will have as many great results as Jack Sock. Did all at the pro level at sure. the highest level, albeit for a small, mm-hmm. you know, uh, window. window. Paris Masters champ, twenty eighteen, right, right, of course. right, top ten in the world. I think yeah. got it to number eight. Yes. You know, still to this day, him and Nadal, the best doubles players in the world. It's yeah. difficult to convince me otherwise. No, Jack Sock. Look at the list of players he's won an ATP yes. doubles title yes. with. Like yes. all of them. Right. right. So, yeah. um, but but it's it's his ability to. It's amazing how he is able to expand his red zone which for those of you who are you know you know very light casual fans sure. it's kind of from the baseline and and behind the baseline all the way to the to, to the fence right that's the red zone where you kind of want to be a little mm-hmm. cautious you want to push your opponent into his red zone and you know kind of keep it in neutral he's able to expand that red zone and hit um you know, winners from three, four, five, six feet behind the baseline, and it just doesn't look like I've seen it from up close. It doesn't look like he's doing it out of luck, mm-hmm. right? No, it's intent. And, There's and, intent in everything. And is he's doing it with changing direction from yeah. a cross court to a down a line from two meters behind the baseline, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and it again, I don't really, I don't particularly care how. Great, you're serving when you're up three one thirty love, but show me how you're serving at four all thirty forty, and he's yeah. done it time and again. Or three all down a set, right? In that set right. against Mo, right? Right, hundred percent. So, this kid, I think, and and, and it's demeanor, right? Like yes. one of the first things we look in, in young kids, you know, obviously younger than him, is even keel, hundred percent. Right? right, the guy is like, I mean, he lost yesterday and today a few points that. I was going crazy how he lost them and the importance of them and 
that's why I'm here doing a podcast. With you. <laughs> and he won the challenger, right? So, yeah. uh, but very like amazing short term memory, man. He's mm-hmm. Dory. No, which, 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 which is what you have to who you yeah. have to be, right? Well, also incredibly polished and purpose. And again, I would encourage any listener who's hearing this to go check out our Cracked Interviews podcast with him. I had the chance to chat with him during this week in Cleveland. Let's talk about the next steps and where he goes from here because you know now he's into the top 175 and he's got you know an ATP quarterfinal on clay on his resume, an ATP quarterfinal on grass on his resume. We talked about I talked about this. We've talked about it off mic. Let's talk about it on mic now. He's not a pro athlete yet, and here's what I mean. He has pro athleticism, the speed, the anticipation, the strength, the power. All of the ingredients are there. He's still got his baby fat on him. He still very much has the body of a 19-year-old, and we were joking about this beforehand. He's got the butt. Like there's no doubt the power is there for him to tap into. But in terms of his upside, this is why I'm doubling down and all in on my takes on him, and I'm curious where you're at on this as well. Fundamentally, he's got a great first step. He's an excellent anticipator. I think he's got condensed backswings on on the return of serve, and I think he's able to generate depth and pace on those returns, forehand or backhand wing. He can play slice. He can move forward. I think he's got the complete package, and it's just a matter of – I mean, for me, it's does the body develop? Is that where you at? Where yes. what's the next step for yes. him? Yes, yes, I, 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 <laughs> I, I like how you put it, man. It's, it's that I think as you shoot up the ranks. And he's very much so a a raw product still, right? The ceiling to me is nowhere in sight, right? But he will play better and better players. What's the good news when you're getting better, right? You're getting better. What's the bad news? You're playing better and better opponents, right? So he's going to play more physical players, Mm -hmm. right? I think very soon he's going to start playing some three out of fives. Mm -hmm. Let's see how... He reacts to that. I've also, uh, you know, like, listen, the tour, once he makes it to the pro tour, because his ranking is going to keep going up, right? Barring sure. some off. We call it the ATP level here because the challengers are pro tour to us. Sure, <laughs> I'm just sure. messing with you. I, I agree. <laughs> um, so, and I should mention, yeah. I just finished my first margarita. Two seconds. What's the, what's the tip? Because that was exceptional. Uh, I it, It's just my recipe. Yeah. I'm not, not going to share it here. Okay, good. I'll send it to you in private. That's what I asked for. But back to Stricker. I apologize. Uh, listen, man. I want to see... I, I want to see it. Who cares what I want to see? I think what, what, what will be interesting is how he deals with adversity. Okay. Okay? He's on a high right now. So when you say adversity, what do you mean? Partic- I'm talk- losses? I'm, talk- I'm talking about losses. I'm talking sure. about loss of confidence. Okay. I think rebounding after an inherent injury, it will happen. Mm-hmm. You know, I, obviously, I don't wish it on him. Of course. Right? But it will happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a brutal sport. Mm-hmm. Let's see how he reacts with that because we know that tennis players have very fragile psyches. Yes. They do. Everything is nice and rosy when you're flying high, but mm-hmm. let's see how you rebound when he goes to that maybe 250 where maybe – I don't think he needs a wild card in the 250, but he loses in the first round to Rune. Yeah, exactly. Right? Like in Atlanta City right, Open. Right, Like at the – you know, right. that sort of stretch where he goes one of most Cabos. And I also want to see now I, – I promise you because of your work <laughs> and other people's work and not, mm-hmm. you know, ultimately because his work, a lot more players are aware of him yes. and what he can do. So right now, 
until pretty much this week, kind of an unknown quantity. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden now, people know. They get yeah. ready. They scout them. And let's see how he deals with that. Yeah, I would agree. Can I ask, because I like to pick your brain, and it's one of my favorite ones out there. You're the only one, but go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To the oh, – yeah, just like, by the way, there's uh, – in the Banchilla household, it's a rule. There has to be two Alexes here yes. at all times. At so. least. Yeah, exactly. At least two of us. <laughs> um, and so – and, you know, only one can have a K in True. their spelling. But, um, you know, you, what is the weakness? What's the scouting? Because when I watch players now – even more because I think anyone can find strengths, right? Anyone can identify a weapon. I'm looking for a weakness in Stricker. I don't see it. Like it, the backhand is not compromised, and he's not in elite shape. He's a great move. Like and Nishioka doesn't have overwhelming power. Mo doesn't have overwhelming power. Rally in, rally out. Nava kind of did, and like took Stricker a set, found his rhythm. He was fine. Nishioka got him stretched in the outer thirds week one, but this week it was like, no, 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 I'm going to take that first ball on the rise instead of the third ball, so I'm not going to be stretched as far, and I can be in an advantageous position. What's the weakness? I, dude, I I didn't see it. Right? I we, Listen, granted, we've seen him at his, his best high, week, at sure. his high point. Yeah. Okay? Uh, but the power is there. Touch is there, mm -hmm. the court sense is there, the court awareness, right? The, the feel for the ball, the anticipation. We talked about all that. But to me today, I thought that he had the biggest three weapons on the court. Mm -hmm. I think the biggest three weapons on the court were actually his serve in yes. order, his forehand, his backhand. <laughs> and then I think the fourth biggest weapon on the court was – His butt? No. <laughs> yeah. Um, it was probably Nishioka's movement. Yes. And the fifth one, Nishioka's forehand. But yes. I, I, I kind of stand by that order. Yeah. So when you have a guy who's, you know, not overly big, maybe he's 6'1", right? Maybe he'll probably grow another inch or so. It's, it's, it's possible. So he'll probably end up 6'2", at most. I think he'll be – he's a strong dude. He's got yes. kind of – I think he can end up with that, that, that country boy Dominic team type. Well, that's why I say right? sock because you talk yes. like it's 100%. just like yeah. the the you know you're not Daniel Medvedev skinny, but like don't worry, you're in right. shape. Right. I don't think he'll be as tall as sock. I don't yeah. think he'll get to six three, but he sure. can get to six two. Even if he stays at, at six one, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um. But I I I because I I look I like after that. after a certain time of watching someone. Okay, I get it. It's impressive, but then I started looking for the weaknesses. Yeah. I didn't see it. Mm -hmm. I mean, this I, is why our process by the right. same because I couldn't agree with you. It's like, right. okay, I've seen that. What's the underbelly? You, you know what? I, I'll tell you this. Like, you know, he hit a couple of big overheads today. Yeah. At one point, I was – because I wasn't seeing any weakness, I was hoping he's going to he's gonna break some of those overheads. Yeah, well, did you watch the doubles with Godzik? I there, did not. He literally looks at Nico, and I, he didn't do this, but if you've played – see, this is why I like – you, we just speak the same way. This is, <laughs> I just am like, you get it. Um, but when, if you've played enough tennis, there's a time if you're playing with someone who is your lesser and you're in a position where you are like, don't worry. I got this. Just like settle down. And I'm not saying Alex Banchilla would crush me, let alone Dom Stricker would – you know, well – you know, I think I could get in your son's head. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Um, point being, Stricker looked at Nico. And it was in their first match. I forget who they played to advance in three sets. But he goes, don't worry. Like, I've got this. Like, we here's the recipe. Right. This is exactly what we're going to do. I'm the best player on this court. Don't worry. 
and he could do it. And it's just like that added. And you're right. And it's like to see him do that on a doubles court, volleys aren't an issue. Overheads aren't an issue. No. Like it's all of and it. And the touch. Yeah. Right? Right. It's that much power, right? It's it's that combo where a lot of power but very soft hands, mm-hmm. right? And and no and, – and it's just like it, – it's really cool to see in that split second how you're making a decision when – you know, Mo is throwing. You know, I think Mo has his issues with his second serve because of the toss. What are your thoughts on Mo? I mean, I, 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 I think he is the epitome of, you know, a, just a phenomenal athlete. Yeah, I've always claimed, and you know, you as an American, we especially yeah. someone who went to Michigan, you'll disagree with me. <laughs> but I'll, 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 I've always claimed that world class tennis players and soccer players are the best athletes in the world. I soccer, I would agree, right? And then you know, I, I say this to an American, and I, you know, I will do four I, miles of sprints in I'm, tennis I'm, and come tell me. I'm, yeah, like, I'm an American, right? Yeah. And and I've been living here longer than I lived in my own country. But <laughs> uh, but but here's my th- here's here's kind of how I kind of look at it. Take someone like Michael Moe and put him through some drills. He would be able to be pretty decent at running back or wide receiver. He I agree. would. Mm-hmm. Take the greatest wide receiver and put him through the drills for three weeks. Can he play tennis? No. That's my point. Yes. Right? Amen. Uh, and, but, you know, tell this to the average American who's a big sports fan and, and you know, football fan and doesn't know anything about tennis. And, they you know, they're going to kick you out of their house. Right? <laughs> so – Mo is just like I, – I actually at one point, even though I, I recognized uh, uh, Strickner's greatness, I kind of wanted Mo to win the tournament. I – this is why right. I had to come here tonight. Right. And not only for the delicious Romanian cooking, and I should say my older brother had a Romanian roommate. Sorry Bud- to hear that. So No, no, no. It was Budinka Fridays, yeah. so his mom would bring up, <laughs> yes, I knew you'd like that. Let's go. Oh. I do. For the record, I called my parents on the way here because they were giving me the breakdown, and I was like, "I'm going to try this Budinka Friday joke." What do you think? And they're like, oh, no, no. Um, "But it went very well." Yeah, thank you. Um, delicious cake, my favorite. And like, so my older brother's roommate, I'm two years younger than him, junior freshman at Michigan. He would say, "Hey, we've got a new order," and I'd be like, "I'll be there in an hour. Like, hold on, <laughs> save me some." Um, and so, anyways, all that is to say, you talk about Michael Mo and wanting him to win that. It's not a want to win. He has been a top 100 player before, and it feels like every time he gets going and he's about to take off on the runway, and I'm doing a plain analogy. This is the margarita hitting. As he takes <laughs> off on the runway, um, I always can I, – I, like I would always – you know, it's always an injury that slows him down. Yeah. And so to me, to see how healthy he was, how physical he was, and just in particular against Galarno, to get that win and to not beat Stricker in a match where you just felt like he gets that one and it's like, all right, I'm back. Yeah, I am top. I agree. And so That's how I was thinking. Yeah. Uh, and you know he he's so gifted physically he i mean he's built like a god yes right yes and and you know he he it looked like he enjoyed being out there yes. he was confident i also thought the plus one forehand because you can feel okay i wanted to run this take by someone when Michael Moe hits a forehand, I swear to god he's scared because he's like i can't swing fully right. because if i swing full speed God help us. Right. Who knows where that right. ball is going? Right. And it just feels like there's even that much more to tap into. Yes, yes, I, I agree. I, I listen. I think his first serve is excellent, mm-hmm. but there are issues with the second serve. Yeah, and uh, and you know the issues stem primarily from the toss. I think he, he's not confident, but that also goes both ways because 
his opponents will force him to hit double faults by yeah. adjusting their positioning on a second serve. Mm-hmm. And he catches him of the corner of, of, of his eye. Which and, is another thing Stricker did so right, well. Right, right. And, and, but that's kind of the playbook on, on Mo, right? Sure. So uh, it, it's impressive to me how well he's able to handle the fact that, that you know, as good as his first serve is, it's not a given he'll hold, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. he missed – I mean, he started the the, the – you know, first service game with Kova, I think, with back-to-back double faults. Yeah. Right? And he held. <laughs> yeah. Because he can crank out a 120, right. 125 I, when he that's needs why, to. That's what I mean when yes. I say his first serve is excellent. And yeah. he changes But you're it. right. It's Del Bonus-ish on the toss. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. going to hit the but, light. But, but the second serve toss. Yeah. The first serve is fine. Yeah. Right? It's more in rhythm. Uh, so, yeah, I, I was kind of bummed for him. I don't know, Michael Moe. Yeah. Uh, but, but, you know, he... I know people who know him. Yeah. Uh, super, super nice guy. And I, I just charismatic and yeah it's you know in, in the match against against uh, Lexi Galerno I uh, you know I think most people were, were uh, rooting for him mm-hmm. uh, maybe it was American versus no Canadian, he said right? best crowd I've right. ever experienced um, at the challenger level but but you know I, I hope that he takes all the positives the cliche but mm-hmm. you know he had a great week he mm-hmm. lost a, you know barely lost to the guy who won the tournament right mm-hmm. it's, you can kind of rationalize it that for way sure. And build up on this, and I think with him, the question mark is I think you put out a tweet where he said that he's definitely playing at a top 100 uh, level. I don't disagree with you. I think he's, he has to stay healthy. Yes. And he has to uh, keep you know, producing results like, 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 like this one. I also this think week. pushing forward. It's just like yeah. you could tell his instinct because watching him take off on a stride, you're just like – God, I wish yeah. I could stride yeah. like that. Yeah. He want, He's used to that and using his strength to turn defense into offense and doing these things, you know, six feet behind the baseline oh. where you're just like, come on now. This yeah. Most yeah. humans can't do that. I feel like pushing forward is another thing for him. I want it because I don't want to be late for dinner because obviously Mrs. B cooking up a delicious meal here <laughs> that I'm quite excited for. Um, but yeah, I, I got three more things I got to run at you. Um, you talk about another guy like that, Yoshihito Nishioka, who I believe four, uh, three and fourteen in his last seventeen eight. I didn't matches. know that stat. I did yes. not know that. I, I assume that he's playing. Be our friends at Tennis Abstract, by right. the way. <laughs> Thank you. Um, so I, I assume that he he, if you will, went down a level. I'm not. I don't mean in a pejorative way, right? Sure. Uh, but he has been a fixture on the ATP. Tour level, right? Correct. So I assumed I didn't know the stat three yeah. and fourteen. I didn't know that. I think it's the right call. Yeah. Um, and you know, listen, nine and one right. in a ten match but, streak. But we talked about it. How phenomenally gifted you have to be, both mentally and and athletically, to be. Let's call it for what it is: a short guy. He's sure. short for a non-pro athlete, let mm-hmm. alone for a, for a pro tennis player, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, super fast. You know. The, the 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 it, it was the the contrast between how they played, you know, like Stricker has a very low penetrating ball. Um, Nishioka likes throwing like like loopy balls to mm-hmm. change the rhythm and the pace and whatever. Um, too bad he got injured towards towards the the, the tail end of the second set. Uh, I really didn't think he would go away even after losing the first set. I think had he not been injured. Um, the second set would have been a lot more competitive. I agree. Um, so, and I don't even think he was injured. It's just like, hey, I got Dallas Tuesday. Maybe. Yeah, right. I think it was a little right. both. Is right. what I'm saying. But, but here's one. I want to make one point, uh, which I thought about it as the second set was was kind of 
unfolding to its inevitable inevitable conclusion. A lots of respect for him for not quitting. Yes. And because he's Japanese, because they take so much pride um into respecting their opponent mm -hmm. in the Japanese culture, mm -hmm. he did not want to take that away from uh yes. from Stricker. That's I'm convinced of that. And I, I, just, can't, I can't prove it to you unless you talk to him. No, go might. listen to the post-match interview where he goes, you just figured it out today. He didn't talk about himself, nothing. Right. He goes, Dom, right. you right. figured out how to beat right. me. Like, right. you were too good today, I my mean, friend. How many guys, because I, 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 I actually world. do think there was a physical thing because on the serve, it's very – yeah. there's not full extension, right? Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, why would he fake it, yes. right? I mean, um, and I – I have a lot of respect for that guy. A hundred percent. No, uh, and it's just how he's so entertaining as well. And whether very, it's between, very fun to watch, especially so from up close. Yes, it, right. the speed Live, up close. Yeah, it's yes. just yes. it's silly. Um, all right, with all of that Cleveland Challenger action in mind, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about two things. I'm gonna you were kind enough to invite me into your house. I have to just present. I, this. I, I already regret it. Yeah. <laughs> Wait till these two questions. Um, all right. I'm going to open up the floor to you. Do you want to go Rafa first or do you want to go Simona Halep first? It's up to you. All right. Let's go Rafa first. Let's do it. You watched his performance at at the uh, Australian Open. I would argue the actual inflection point in the match was not, you know, that two, three service game, third set, Rafa's down, love 40. First break point, whatever. It was the second break point where Medvedev has a backhand that he has the opportunity to approach on. Tentative. He chooses not to approach on it. He's caught in no man's land, hits an error on the next ball. I think it was a missed inside-out forehand that he just he should have taken as a volley. Probably puts it away. That said, Rafa comes back. Two sets to love down. I don't want to say you are a – you know, I think I can say you're a scholar of the school of the big three. And I'm not just saying just Rafa. You have watched all of them compete. And I'd like to – yes, you have your takes, but I think you come at it at a pretty objective angle. That is my read to it. Make the take – you know what? I don't even have a question. Floor is yours. Rafa, 21, your reaction. I, dude, I will tell you this. I was – it was the last day of – um vacation that I, I took with my wife out, out of the country. Sure. Um, and of course, like the maniac that I am, <laughs> I, I like where this I, is going. I, I wake up. <laughs> yeah. Right. Of course. I cannot not watch sporting events live. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I got my headphones cause you know, my wife is next to me, yeah. and, you know? Um, and I've been waiting for this moment for the last 13 years. Okay. I'm a, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm a very objective Nadal fan. Well, I think it's the discipline that what I have, my takeaway, and correct me if I'm wrong, is I think you like the rigorous nature, the discipline, and just the attitude. It's the attitude to me that I feel like you're gravitating I, towards. You know what? My all Break it down. I'm my excited. Old, my all-time favorite tennis player was Boris Becker. Okay. Right? And after Becker quit tennis i think in 2000 mm -hmm. i did not watch tennis for a few years i, I sporadically of yeah. course I'm, I'm gonna watch it but I, I wasn't invested in it sure and then this guy comes along with like clam diggers and right? <laughs> so, and and i kind of watched a little like like no sleeve shirts right mm -hmm. which I don't capris think, right i think tommy has had a like kind of dabbled in the in the mm -hmm. in the you know no sleeve shirts i think he's the first one who who did it, but he wasn't memorable enough, mm -hmm. right? Uh, and and then I see this guy, and and I'm kind of 
watching him on and off and I didn't like him. I really didn't. I, 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 because here's my impression of him having watching him just playing on the court. Nadal is a bully. Yeah. It's as simple as that. We're doing what I want to do. Yeah. He, he's going to, that's such a good way of putting it. Sorry, I really like that. So, yeah. so, you know, because I'm not very intelligent, I made, <laughs> I made the, 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 the correlation that he's the same way off the court. Okay. So I kind of convinced myself in not liking him. Okay. And it was, what, what won me over was, the fact that I realized early on that he's a clay court player. Mm-hmm. I, I, I could tell, right? Mm-hmm. But then he made it to the finals at Wimbledon that first year, mm-hmm. right? And, you know, Federer beat him in four sets. But to me, making it to the final at Wimbledon where I think he – I thought he willed himself to do that as a complete non-grass court player. Yes. And then I started paying more, you know, closer attention, which I should have done in the first place. <laughs> Um, and then I started listening to him in interviews and he could not be any different mm-hmm. than he is on the court in interviews. He's just a gentle, genuinely nice, humble guy. And to me, that was so, you know, it's it just intriguing, right? So I started following him and the following year, he made it again to the finals at Wimbledon where he lost in five sets. And, you know, I, I, I became a huge fan of his to the point that he surpassed Becker. He's my mm-hmm. not only my all-time favorite tennis player, but he's my all-time favorite athlete, surpassing Michael Jordan, who <laughs> was my idol. Sure. Right? And 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 Kobe Bryant, right? Mm-hmm. Um and and I I I don't think listen, the big three, and I know you're a huge proponent of, of the big four. I, <laughs> I, I I disagree with you on that, but that's okay. Um, was there a big four era? Like a two-year blip there. 20 – maybe. Well, five-year, 11 but, to 16. But, but, but right – I always feel that once we start segmenting things sure. and we go keep going. a little bit deeper and deeper, it becomes yeah. a little bit more obscure. I, I Look at from like – look start looking from when Nadal came on board oh, five, until oh, four, today. Five. Sure. Is there a big four era? And I like Murray a lot. I do, mm-hmm. right? And I disagree with people who say Vavrinka had the same career as Murray. He didn't. He has the same number of majors as Murray, and Vavrinka is phenomenal. And what he did in this era, not to digress, no, but no. to win three majors the way he did, uh, he's one of my favorite tennis players of all time. Sure. Right? And I hope he comes back. Yeah. Um, but to, to go back to my original point, it's so debatable, the big three. Who's the greatest? Uh, matter of opinion. They each have like diehard fan bases. It's almost it's, – it's, it's become – you know, at the dinner table, which we're going to go, you know, yeah. shortly, don't discuss politics, Hatfields, religion, McCoys. And, and the big three. Yeah. Right? yeah. Um, because I don't think you can change – if you're a Federer guy and I'm a Djokovic fan, yeah. are you going to change my opinion because you start no. throwing stats at me? Yeah. I feel that no tennis player has made more progress in his game after he became number one in the world in adult. That's interesting. I think I would I, agree, I, especially here's the thing. And I don't know if you read Bill Simmons. Bill Simmons wrote the book of basketball, the definitive history, whatever, an alleged definitive history, one of the many. But he ranks all the top 100 players and he talks about the prime of Michael Jordan. And this to me is the 
most interesting comp between both Jordan and I think you could apply this to Djokovic, but you could apply it to Rafa as well. It's the different versions you saw of Michael Jordan. So from 82 to 89, it's just the raw athlete where this is maybe the greatest athlete of all time, certainly the greatest athlete to step foot in basketball until LeBron James. Don't worry, we don't have to get into that. Um but, you know, you see that first. And then part two, you see Michael Jordan, 1990 to 93 or four, the first three-peat, right, where he becomes – he's still that physical marvel where I'm better at everyone else, but now I'm embracing my teammates. Then you get Michael Jordan 3.0 where he comes in post-retirement and it's just now physically I may have diminished, but I have mastered the game of basketball. To me, that's Rafa Nadal, where 05 to 2011, pre-knee injury number one, he's just this physical wonder where the combination of strength, fluidity, power, all these different things, you're just like, that's not, we haven't seen that in a tennis player before. Then to your point, he kind of learned how to play tennis. And I think that's not learned how, but refined all the aspects on the different surfaces. And that's why I think now the serve and volley, the taking the return a little bit earlier, just the definitiveness with which he plays – the slice, which he was yes. doing, I mean, the slice. Has the first become, serve, the, yeah, and the slice has become a staple of his game. Yeah, right. Um, and and I stand by it. No tennis player has made, in my opinion, more progress after they became number one in the world. And 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 listen, I lost my dad seven years ago, and that was the last time I cried. I cried again this last Sunday. I I, I I'm not ashamed to admit it because I was so. Other than my immediate family, I don't think I've invested this much time and energy in a guy that ultimately I don't know. Sure. I spoke with him a couple of times, yeah. but I don't know him, mm-hmm. right? And I I, I cried. Mm-hmm. And it's I, I've been waiting for a long time. I thought he was running out of time to get that double career Grand Slam, which is kind of a big deal, yeah. right? Especially since Djokovic did it. It's who? It's Emerson, right. Djokovic, Nadal, and one other who I'm slipping. Right. Yeah. Uh, is it Budge? Laver, probably. Yeah, Laver, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think Budge did it. Yeah. Uh, so, and then the open year, I think, is just, uh, you know, yeah. Djokovic and Nadal, and, you know, Laver did it in 69. Right? Yeah, so, exactly. Um, but it's, I think it's his single greatest individual accomplishment mm-hmm. this this it's not his greatest accomplishment because if you stop the sentence there nadal's definitive accomplishment is 13 rgs and counting yes but as far as a single accomplishment when you when you take into account everything you know his situation before the tournament he hasn't played since last year's french open uh, came back kind of looking dubious and mm-hmm. you know doha and abu dhabi yes. or whatever uh and and doing this where I, I – I, no shame admitting it. I never thought he would make it to the second week. But once, agree he, more. once he beat Chapo, I actually thought he'd win the tournament. Interesting. So I went from that to I, – I knew he's not going to lose to Berrettini. So let me just throw a scenario at you quickly. If he is on the other side of the draw and that Chapo match happens and he only gets one day off instead of the two, does he still win it? I don't know. Okay. Because that was a critical right. thing, right? Yeah, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just that one, one, and and I will. You said something a few minutes ago that that you thought that a turning point happened. Um, that two three moment, right. third set. I, I actually, first of all, I think it's a great observation, and I know exactly the point you're talking yeah. about. But I think the turning point was a little bit more vague than a single point. Okay, I thought that it's uh, at one. And I have to go back to the tape because I don't remember exactly when it happened, but I know it happened and you could see it. If you go after I tell you what I'm about to tell you, you will see it. Okay. 
Medvedev opened the door for him. He took his foot off the accelerator and he wanted to show Nadal, people in the stands and spectators, I'm going to play around with them a little bit. Okay. And I knew when it happened. Did I think that Nadal will come back? No, but I knew what Medvedev was doing. <laughs> and these three guys, I've always claimed this, Nadal, Djokovic, and, and Federer, they're sociopaths. Yeah. <laughs> Not in the clinical way, yeah. actually in a good way. In the if, healthiest way. Right. Sure. But this, you cannot do that against them. Mm-hmm. And Medvedev made a big mistake. He, he wasn't, he didn't go for the jugular. Yes. Nadal was almost done. He's never done, but he was almost done. And Medvedev, you know, Nadal was drowning. Medvedev had his, his foot on his, on the top of his head. And he eased up on it a little bit. And he started doing some goofy shots just to kind of almost like humiliate Nadal a little bit. Mm-hmm. And I, in my opinion, that's what turned it. Of course, the two three love thirty, right? Mm-hmm. Was it a two three or a two? No, 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 two, two three, three, two yeah. three love thirty. Of course, yeah. But I just feel that the 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 the, the bigger moment was Medvedev thinking, "I got this in the bag. Let me have a little bit of fun at this guy's expense and on the big stage." Yes, yes, right. Yeah, I think that that just like no core position. He was taking everything on the rise right. in early. And, you know, in like doing unnecessary, yeah. like two handed. Back in like jumping bunny into hops, yeah exactly right? so it's just he got like, cute right so um, but but you know what I think I'm gonna use a term that I, I usually tr- try to stay away sure. I think I think Nadal deserved the second Australian Open title okay um, then again it's crazy to think the last time yeah. he won it Federer was in tears and we thought right. okay this might be over right. it's like a right. decade ago right. yeah exactly. over a decade and, uh, ago and he. You know, had a lot of heartbreakers, and mm-hmm. to do it now, this many years apart, or right, thirteen years, um, no asterisks for me. I don't believe in asterisks because then you got asterisks all everything, the, everything, right? Yeah. You know how many majors Nadal has missed, and others have won. Okay, asterisks those, right? Yeah. Um, and um, I, I think he, to me, he is in the mount on the mount Rushmore of the greatest competitors I've ever seen. I would. 1,000% echo that sentiment. I can't believe if you're Medvedev and Zverev and all of Tsitsipas and all of these guys, you are looking in the mirror and saying, how did we let that old man steal a title from us? Yeah. But that's what he did. He went out there. He earned it. He won yeah. it. And you have yeah. to give him all the credit in the world. All right. Last one. Cause I, again, I don't want to take you too long. Uh, take your time. Oh, I appreciate it. I want to talk Simona Halep, and not to pick on the Romanian side of you, but I've had this talk with your son as well. And I know you've got some thoughts. Um, you look for Simona. I think Serena Prime 3 or 4, whatever it was on, that 2014 and on era where she just had that second wind where it's like, ah, I'm just better than everyone. And like, sorry, but if I show up, you lose. I think outside of her, when you look back at the last seven years and you know, eight seasons at the consistency of Simona Halep, who I believe has won over 70% of her matches in every season since 2013 – Overrated, underrated, properly rated. Where are you with two Grand Slams, I believe, overall? Uh, I think Wimbledon and French Open, if memory serves me correct. I do think if there's no pandemic, she wins one in 2020. Because overall, she went like 28-3 and three that season. I thought semifinal loss, 2020 Australian Open. She didn't play her best, but I thought she was the best player in the world at that moment. And I think she was perhaps more adversely affected just from a career trajectory standpoint by this pandemic than anyone else. 
she doesn't have the overwhelming weapons. She doesn't have the clear-cut first serve or the, you know, the, just the overwhelming in-your-face sort of game. But the consistency of Simona Halep, I'm, I'm all in on it. Like I, I do think she has been the second best player of the past decade, you know, above a Wozniacki, above a Kerber, even some players who may have a slam or two more than her, uh, in Osaka even, in this, you know, since 2013, 2014. You know what? Maybe. I, I'm, I'm a little, uh, I'm a little closer to the situation. That's what, that's what uh, I wanted so, to ask. So I know certain things that unfortunately I am not willing to, to say them out loud here. Okay. Um, it's a great question, underrated, properly rated, overrated. I think I, I she, she's definitely not underrated. Okay. I would put her somewhere. That's interesting. Yeah. I, I would put her somewhere between <clears throat> properly rated and overrated. Okay. Um, I think that she should have won more than she did. I think the big titles were there for the taking when – to me, the last three or four legitimately great players mm-hmm. have been obviously Serena Williams, sure, Sharapova, Azarenka, and Kleisters. Okay, I think Barty's on path, but that's perhaps a, diff- a different. Yeah, discussion. that was uh, yeah, yeah, because yeah. that's the later window. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, and you're right yeah. about that. Thank you. Um, and and I think she will. Many, 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 many years from now, she'll take to her grave that uh, RG loss to Ostapenko, uh, right? Yes. Um, and who knows what could have sprung from that. Mm-hmm. It's not just a win, but it's yeah. the confidence level. No, Wozniacki 2018. Right. Exactly. Sviantek um, 2020. If she wins that match, she's winning right? the tournament. It's just too – Everything you the, the way you describe her is is spot on. Mm-hmm. How can you not respect someone who is you know five six maybe? Yeah, who does what she does. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it's just she's got that 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 never Cahill was not able to 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 get rid of it. She's got that catastrophic Eastern European mentality okay. on the court. Where, you know, you can tell, you know, the yelling at the box and uh, you yeah. know, at the box and all that stuff. It's just like it, it, that routine gets old sure. after a while, right? And it's just like it's just – it's I don't know if I can swear, but it's just like looking. No, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you'll – Yeah, we yeah, could quack yeah. it out. Don't you yeah, worry. We'll, we'll, you'll quack it out later. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just – you know, I think um, – I don't know if it was – I think – might have been Matt Zemek on on Twitter, who kind of I don't know if he did it on purpose or not. I, I don't think there was any malice behind it, mm-hmm. but I think he used the perfect word for her. He didn't call her great. He didn't call her good. He called her accomplished. And to me, yeah. that's what Simona Halep is. She's better than good, but I don't think she's great. And I think she's accomplished this just perfect. Mm-hmm. It, it's fascinating. There are worlds where, again, if an Australian Open goes better, whether it's 2020, whether it's 2018. Now, she's never been great in New York, which hasn't always made sense. But you imagine the physicality she plays with by the end of the season. There's just a lot of wear and tear. Has the window closed on her winning a Grand Slam? You know what? It's so hard in you the know what? Here, here, Yes, it is. But 
if I learned anything from, you know, and I'm not putting Halep at the same level as those three maniacs, right? Yeah, sure. Federer, Nadal, and Djokovic. But listen, the honest answer is I don't know. Okay. You put a gun to my head, maybe give you an answer right now. I say yes, only because I just don't think she's into it that much anymore. I saw it in Australia and like – What's up with all this coaching ping-ponging, dude? Right? Yeah. What, what is that, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, like, uh, you know, letting coaches go a lot of times. I mean, I'm sure she has her reasons. I hope she has her reasons. But sometimes it just doesn't make sense. And again, I'm I'm, I'm not going to say I'm very close to the situation. Yeah. I'm not. But I am informed. one degree of separation away from her. Sure. Right? There's some stuff that doesn't make sense. Yeah. Right? Uh so I, my hope for her is because I don't wish ill will on anybody. Mm-hmm. I hope she wins another major. I mm-hmm. I think I'll be surprised. Okay, surprised if if that happens. Yeah, I I think I would probably agree with you. So just because there's so many bites at the apple now, right? right there are just right, so right. many players. And I think I think she missed a huge opportunity when Serena was kind of like I don't know what she was doing, but yeah. she wasn't quite there for yeah. a number of reasons. No, it's not all of them bad, right? Yeah. Um, but then Sharapova had her issues and mm-hmm. then uh, Azarenka got pregnant, as did Serena, obviously, yeah. right? Um, so so there, I think there was a vacuum at the top of the game. She got to number one in the world, but I think I think she should have won more considering the lack of greatness mm-hmm. Once those three players that I mentioned, Serena, Azarenka, and Sharapova, kind of, mm-hmm. you know, went away a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, or for good, mm-hmm. that she didn't take enough advantage of it. Mm-hmm. And my feeling is that despite her obvious Hall of Fame career that she had, she might have some regrets. I think that's fair, and I think again, one wonders if there were four slams played in twenty twenty. Does she take one of them? She was the number one player in the world, certainly on paper. That, yeah, yeah. It, it's an interesting, you know, little footnote. What if? But there are countless of those. Because throughout. she was the Wimbledon uh, champion, defending she, champ, she, right? She could not, right? She could not yeah. defend. Yeah, um, had one in RG. Obviously. That's got to suck. Yeah, a hundred thousand percent. So, yeah, I mean. I hope she does it, but I'd be surprised. Yeah. No, it's interesting to hear. Well, with all of that said, I'm immensely grateful for you taking the time to chat with us here today. I'm trying to think. Is there anything we can do to support you, whether it be no. the club, the company? I mean, no, look, not at all. Not I play at all. a little – you know, I, I, I still like to think I am fit enough to play the actual tennis. But, um, you know, I know there are some – is it I'm, – I'm blanking here because pickleball rack, – uh, not racquetball. What, um, paddle? Paddle? Platform excuse, pla- Platform. There it is because there are so many different – Talk to me about the platform tennis world, though. It's a great sport. It uh, is. I uh, actually uh, I own a, a, a company mm-hmm. with you know a very good friend of mine, Matt Wurzel. I was um, best man at his wedding mm-hmm. um, in in Chicago Labor Day weekend, um, and we have our lawyer and friend, mostly primarily, who's our minority partner, and so we own Viking, yes. which in the platform tennis world is everything. It's what Prince used to be in the tennis world in the 80s and up to mid-90s, right? Mm-hmm. So we own about 60% of the market. It's the rackets, the, right. all of right. the above, yes. Um, and we are very proud. We, you know, it's – I've been working for Viking since 2015. 
Um, and, you know, we were able to buy the company last year. Um, and it's just, you know, it's a great sport. It's very social. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jared Palmer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tennessee. Became, yes. yes. Uh, er. No, no, no. Jared Palmer, Stanford. Oh, Stanford. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. One of the world in doubles. Yes, yes, Wimbledon yes. champion, all that stuff. Became one of the best players in the game. He, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it just the, – the learning curve though in, in platform tennis, it takes four years. Okay. I don't care. You're going to – if you're a great tennis player, you're going to look good mm-hmm. from the get-go, but you're not going to win. It sure. takes four years. Okay. I, it doesn't matter who you are. Uh, great sport, very um, very social. Yeah. You played it exclusively in doubles. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, very excited about that to do that in parallel with tennis. Uh, I – run the rackets program at Colonel and Country Club in Willoughby, Ohio. Of course. Great place, great club, phenomenal golf course. Phenomenal. World class. It's good to know. Yeah, so let me know. Yeah. You know. <laughs> That's an August date. Yes. Yeah, yes, I like it. Tennis in the land. Yeah, exactly. Um, and lastly, no, listen, thanks for doing this. Uh, I, my pleasure. I, I'm, yeah, you know, thank you for having me. It's, Seriously. It's, no, thank you for having me. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm kind of looking forward to next time. Yeah. Uh, you know what? Now I get to say, don't be a stranger. Now you're a returning champion to our Crack Racket shows. But Alex, thank you so much for taking the time. I appreciate it. Be my safe. Pleasure. Be healthy. We'll talk thank more Thank you soon. for having me, man.